Hi, and welcome back to OA On Air, the official podcast of O'Neill & Associates. I'm Kyan Isaacson. This week on 321 Go, we're talking business closings, Starbucks Christmas cups, and the midterm elections. Then Chase Schaub interviews Jason Gilberti from MVP Vets, a nonprofit organization focused on helping returning veterans transition from the military to meaningful employment in life science companies. And in two minutes with Tom this week, Tom's talking about the results and outcomes of this week's midterm elections, what it means for Massachusetts and the country, and particularly women coming into power. First up, three, two, one, go. Let's talk about something important. Hello and welcome to 321 Go on OA on Air, where each week we take a brief but purposeful look at three compelling topics in the world of public affairs, business, government, culture, and the economy. I'm your host, Cosmo Macero. In this installment of 321 Go, what's to blame when strong brands with apparently strong product and service visibility hit the rocks? It's a good and timely discussion this week as New England Classics Papagino's Pizza and D'Angelo's Sandwich Chops are shutting down all over the place. And just for good measure, the home improvement giant Lowe's is also in trouble. We'll explain. And the midterm elections did not disappoint as Democrats wrested control of the House from the GOP and Donald Trump now prepares for life with actual opposition on Capitol Hill. But maybe just as many eyes were on Texas, where populist favorite Beto O'Rourke just missed with his aggressive and highly visible campaign to unseat U.S. Senator Ted Cruz. Cruz retains the seat, but O'Rourke is an instant superstar. So now what should he do? We'll discuss. Finally, it's time for Starbucks to roll out its seasonal holiday coffee cups. And lo and behold, some people again have their noses out of joint over that. Can you get a bleepin' latte without making a federal case out of it these days for crying out loud? We'll explore this latest flare-up in the annual War on Christmas Dialogue. Joining me here on 321 Go is Cayenne Isaacson. Hello. The official voice of OA on air. All right, Cayenne. Papagino's and D'Angelo restaurants uh, owned by the same company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, shut down, I think, 100 stores, uh, laid off immediately even without their notice, over a thousand people. Um, I want to talk about the the demise of this company a little bit, but let's just first start with how it ended and how it ended very poorly for employees and how they were really not treated well. Really poorly for employees, a bad look for the company overall and a company that I think most people, I would imagine, have never had a problem or an issue with that I know of. Um, the Papaginos in my town closed um, and my son really liked it there. So that was, that's a bummer. But you know, on a personal level, but for there were employees that showed up to work on Sunday morning only to find a sign on the door that says, this location is no longer open. Yeah. And that is That's just a right. terrible thing to do to people. Uh, there was a story, I, I didn't catch all of the specifics because it's been a crazy news week, but there was a woman that's on maternity leave, um, was not notified. She has no idea what this means for her and, you know, her future. She now has a new baby, how she's going to support that child. Yeah. It's just, Probably it's lots a, of stories like that. Yeah, yeah it's, it's lousy, basic human decency. Um, yeah. And, you know, it's one of those things for as a, if I step back and I put on my professional hat for a second, 
basic human decency and respect is one of those things. It's a real shame when you do yourself and your company in for things that are so obvious and just the right thing to do. Sure. So sort of an inglorious ending uh, to this company and its demise. And let's I want to talk about that for a couple of moments just because all of the analysis points to sort of the typical, I'm not going to call them excuses, is sort of the typical dynamics um, heavy competition from national national chains, national brands like Papa John's and Domino's and Jimmy John's sandwich shops. Because we're talking about Papa Gino's, the pizza place, and D'Angelo's, the sandwich shop, which it owned, um, which you know, own part of the same company. And uh, delivery options for anything you want now is it can be delivered as easy as Chinese food and pizza, which you've been always been able to get. Now you can get. I understand all that. And Puppuccino's was late to the delivery game. Well, very late. And, and, and I really believe that a big piece of this has nothing to do with product. It has everything to do with bad marketing. Yeah. I, I think the last major marketing initiative I remember from Puppuccino's was Adam Vinatieri here in New England. Guy hasn't kicked for the Patriots in like eight years. <laughs> so yeah. where have they been? Uh, same for D'Angelo. Again, these were like powerhouse brands in, New, in the New England market especially, or particularly of the 80s, the 90s, uh, the, the 2000s. Uh, the number nine pocket, not to get into too much detail, maybe one of the best sandwiches ever created, in my opinion, the number nine pocket from D'Angelo's. P- uh, Papa Gino's, a very quality product, a Regina-like, pi- Regina, the best pizza in America. Yeah. Right? A Regina-type pizza, not that quality, not that great, but still really good. So it's not the product, I just think their marketing completely failed, and you're right, it's like, hello, food, delivery, wake up, you know. They just didn't come around. So funny. I hadn't thought about that, but I can't remember the last time I saw, like, a Papagino's commercial. Um, but it really, it's a good lesson for companies out there. A good product is not enough. It's absolutely not enough. It will not stand the test of time by itself. Yeah. you need, and, and I think this, is, this really spelled the end of these. Um, and it's kind of funny because, like you, I, I, I've got kids and... And Papa Gino's always seemed to be near some store we were going to, right? So mm-hmm. it's an easy place to go for lunch. I don't think I ever waited in line. I, I don't think I've waited in line in Papa Gino's in 10 years. You yeah, just got to go in, it's you order your pizza, and, and, and you, it's ready and you get to eat. Yeah, I think um, John Chesto noted that you could walk Boston into a... Porter, yeah. Yes, you could walk into Papa Gino's and roll a bowling ball and not hit anybody. And I, honestly, the second I read that, I was like, huh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. 15 seconds, similar topic. Lowe's, National Home Improvement Chain, also, especially in New England, lots of stores closing. Mm-hmm. My first thought on that is I don't know that there's room for two Home Depots in the marketplace, two big, big box stores with big, uh, heavy-duty items for sale. Um, I don't know that you can blame Amazon for that, but uh, there may not just be enough room in the market. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about the Lowe's thing. I really don't. I've I've shopped at both, um, had fine experiences at both, but it's a good point. Uh, do we need two really big hardware stores? Um, probably not, yeah. um, particularly as, you know, there are some things, we were talking about this earlier, that you do want to go put your hands on before you buy, but there are a lot of other things you don't. And if that's the, if that's the case and you can get it delivered and Amazon Prime it from your phone, yeah. There's just less there's less room for people to to have that need. Yeah. Tough tough time to be in retail when your infrastructure is very costly and very large scale. All right, Cayenne, midterm elections were this week. Very exciting. Um, did not disappoint House 
changes control to the Democrats. A lot of people, though, during the entire run-up to the election, uh, uh, focused on Texas uh, for a number of reasons, particularly the U.S. Senate race between incumbent Ted Cruz and Beto, Congressman Beto O'Rourke. Uh, kind of an exciting, dynamic race, pretty close, uh, pr not surprising uh, defeat for O'Rourke to Cruz. Um, nonetheless, it was close, and his campaign really excited a lot of people, got people engaged in Texas politics that hadn't uh, in many years. And uh, he is uh, being looked at as a, uh, as, as, a, as a political or otherwise some type of uh, cultural superstar, most likely point of re-entry is, uh, is similar to this one, uh, 2020 running for U.S. Senate again for what's expected to be an open seat in Texas. But, um, you know, it got me thinking, what do you do if you're in that position where um, you've been serving as a, you've been a public servant and you've had a, a certain level of visibility, then the campaign really kind of rockets you into the national consciousness. Now what do you do? You've lost the election. How do you take advantage of that, or what do you do? And I'm just wondering what you think. Yeah, he's he didn't just command attention from Texas. He commanded attention from the entire country. Oh, yeah. I mean, everybody is well, sort celebrities, of— Celebrities. Yeah, people who athletes. had— um, no idea who this guy was a couple of months ago or in some, you know, a couple of weeks ago or now, you know, his name's just rolling off the tongue and they're talking about it all the time. People donated from all over the country, um, you know, partially because they really didn't want to see Ted Cruz win. Lion um, Ted. <laughs> Lion Ted. Um, but he put up a formidable fight. Uh, he yeah. did it with a lot of energy. He's young. He's got charisma. You know. We're also at a time where the Democratic Party does not currently really have a leader um, that's going to sort of take the party forward. And people are kind of looking all over the place for that. Uh, he has been brought up as one of those names. Is this the person that, that the party needs to move it forward? I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm not going to speculate on that. But it's interesting to see what the right race at the right time with sort of the right kind of a person has done and you know this race a couple of years ago might have just been a sleepy race in texas but it was against ted cruz it was the 2018 midterm elections it was a time of you know every election had something to do with our president and here this guy is kind of came out of almost nowhere uh and now he's a national name and, and we're sitting here talking about what what's he going to do with his platform yeah which is what he has now it d depends on his uh, on his ambitions i, I got to assume he wants to have some role in the um, in the political sphere again, that that likely open Senate seat in two years is is one option. Another is yeah, you establish um, uh, an advocacy group, a PAC to support you know Governor uh, former Governor Deval Patrick did the same thing here in Massachusetts uh, to support causes that you think are important and, and candidates you think are important or or valuable. Um, you could cash in. Why not? I mean, you're a hardworking guy, corporate boards, and, you know, uh, someone like with that profile is terrific in business development in just about any industry. Um, you know, people are attracted to him. That means money or capital will be attracted to him if he's affiliated with a company of one kind or another. So I think he's got a lot of options, but it would be surprising if he just kind of walked away and said, well, I served in Congress, I ran for Senate, now I'm done. Uh, I will say that his name is kicked around already as he's someone who's certainly going to be mentioned as a presidential candidate. I always roll my eyes at that because, um, yeah, I mean, that's a big, big jump to make. 
Um, none, nonetheless, uh, he is uh, this this congressman who I certainly had no idea who he was before this campaign. Um, is is really now just kind of part of the pub the uh, uh, the public dialogue on the on the on the political uh, experience in America. So I don't go. I don't see him slinking away. I don't see him going and, and taking up a, a a corporate board seat anywhere and being quiet. Um, I think this is most likely just the beginning. His concession spe- speech in and of itself shows that he's sort of raring raring and ready to go. So you're betting on hearing more from Beto. So, so punny. (laughs) All right, Cayenne, the holiday season is basically upon us. It means it's time for the annual seasonal holiday coffee cups at Starbucks and the annual gnashing of teeth over the war on Christmas and the cultural struggles that play out every day uh, within the confines of your neighborhood Starbucks franchise, which, of course is a bastion of liberalism and coastalism. My favorite, coastalism (laughs) Um, in America. Uh, As opposed to just, hey, you know what? It's the holiday season. Let's put out some red cups with some green color and uh, some, uh, you know, this and that. Number one, what do these things look like? And um, why does the war on Christmas always sort of play out around Starbucks. I say that, by the way, with tongue-in-cheek. So it went back because it was the red cup. That's how it sort of all started. Starbucks unveiled the red cup. It was like the Christmas cup, and then people said, that's not good. And then Starbucks responded and said, okay, now we have holiday cups. Last year they had- Yeah, because the, the original cups were very Christmas-like. Yes. So it, the, 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 the meter tilted one way. Hey, wait a second. That's too Christmas-like. Yes. Yeah. Last year, they did a contest where people got to submit their designs, which was really cool. I kind of would have liked, I don't know if they did that this year. I would have liked if they did. Um, This year, there are four. There's a green one. There's two more reddish ones. And then there's a white one that has some holly on it, so some red and some green. Um, but, you know, people really get all up in arms about it. People, Some people get really excited because they get excited for holiday cups and then the, the holiday menu that comes with them. So like, you know, your peppermint mochas and things like that. Um, you're shaking your head. I love Starbucks. I grew up I, on I, Starbucks. It is just so silly. A good triple or double espresso. So I like Starbucks too. But it, I just don't understand the thought that goes into what's, what am I drinking my coffee out of? How can, how can someone be that concerned about drinking out of a paper cup? Because we live in an Instagram world. Yeah. And they are capitalizing on it. They do contests. Like they'll do, um, it was the red cup contest a couple of years ago. You get your cup, you take a picture, post it to Instagram, tag it, and you got no, entered I'm, I'm into this. No, I'm all for the marketing part. Yeah. But, that's, but, but I'm talking about the, uh, the I'm offended part. How can you be offended by your coffee cup? Because it's red. <laughs> well, as I am not one who is offended, I don't want to speak on behalf of those that are, but I think, um, you know, people are offended when you say Merry Christmas and not Happy Holidays. It feels like I'm forcing you to defend Starbucks. That's not what I'm trying to do. I'm, I'm actually, I'm, no, 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 I'm, no, no, a, no. I'm appalled at just the notion that. No, I'm saying I no don't. No matter what, this company can't win. Uh, you know, for, first they. But their they, bottom line does every year. So. And absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and that, exactly. And we're contributing to that right now. And that's fine. And that's great. Um, I, I just get a kick out of it because it, it, it plays into the whole idea of the notion of a Starbucks. They come into your community and um, it, it's, you know, 
a certain type of customer is is welcome and and a certain type maybe isn't and, and I, I don't I don't think that's the case. And I, I my I don't think that that was ever remotely their intention. No. Ever. I think they were just like let's be festive. It's the holiday season. Exactly. But the problem is they went with the Christmas season and not just the general merriment of the holidays in general. Yeah. Maybe like a glittering New Year's cup. It's the silly season. It's the holiday season. But happy um, holidays. Happy holidays. There you have it. Cayenne, thanks so much. Good to talk to you as always. Three, two, one, go is recorded in Studio One O A, just off the historic Tip O'Neill Room in our building in the heart of Government Center in Boston, Massachusetts. Thanks for listening. Goodbye till next time. I'm Cosmo Masir. That's all for 3, 2, 1, Go. Up next, an interview with Jason Gilberti from MVP Vets. Hello, I'm Chase Schaub, an account executive at O'Neill & Associates, and today I'm joined by Jason Gilberti, CEO of MVP Vets. Jason, thanks for coming in today. Hey, thanks, Chase. I appreciate the opportunity. So start off by telling us a little bit about MVP Vets and how you got started with the organization. Sure, absolutely. Uh, MVP Vets uh, was spawned out of a joint venture between Avamed, a national medical device and technology association, um, and the International Center for Professional Development in 2010. Uh, Its original task and purpose uh, was aimed to reduce the extremely high veteran unemployment rate at the time, uh, which is running around 13%, uh, by hosting a series of what what were known as boot camps at the annual MedTech conferences to assist, prepare, and mentor transitioning veterans for meaningful employment into the life sciences industry. Um, The last of these boot camps, in fact, was held right here in Boston in 2013. Um, Subsequently and shortly thereafter, in 2014, MVP Vets uh, became an official registered 501c3 nonprofit. Uh, As for myself, uh, having been born, raised, and recently retiring back here to the Commonwealth, uh, and after after roughly a quarter century of service uh, in the United States Army, the opportunity to champion Uh, Such an endeavor for the betterment of our veterans uh, was too good to be true. That's great. And why did MVP Vets decide to expand into Massachusetts? What really made Massachusetts, the state's life science sector, so appealing? Yeah, no, great question. Thanks. Um, uh, Massachusetts and the greater Boston area uh, is one of three major medical device and technology uh, innovation hubs uh, nationally. Uh, next to Minneapolis, Minnesota, and Southern California. Uh, previously, I noted that MVP Vets became a nonprofit in 2014, but what I didn't mention was that we initially anchored the principal office in Southern California. Um, that said, this fall, the board of directors uh, decided uh, to onboard me, a Massachusetts native and military veteran, uh, while simultaneously relocating our main office here back to uh, the Commonwealth, Uh, solidifying our presence uh, in Massachusetts. Uh, It also nicely coincides with, as you know, this month, the 100th anniversary uh, to the end of World War I. It also coincides with our fifth-year anniversary in 2019 uh, and a return of the annual uh, Avamed and Medical Tech Device Conference, which will be hosted here in Boston in late September of 2019. and, and, and if I may, lastly, as I've talked with several senior executives and visited a few facilities, medical de- device and technology facilities in the area, it's clear that Massachusetts possesses an absolute amazing life science ecosystem 
uh, that will continue to flourish with the re-careering and mentoring of veterans into the industry in partnership with MVP Vets. That's why we're back here in the Commonwealth. So with that then, what's, what's your goal for this expansion here in Massachusetts? First and foremost, uh, we're looking to assist and prepare transitioning veterans for meaningful employment into the life sciences. Um, to do that, we will need to work shoulder to shoulder and collaboratively uh, in partnership with local and state veteran service organizations, or VSOs as they're called, colleges and university veteran service programs, and other uh, veteran organizations such as the Greater Boston Veterans Collaborative, which I'll speak at later this afternoon, to inform and educate our veterans uh, and those other organizations of the opportunities within the life, life science industry here in the Commonwealth. Second, uh, we partner with a broad array of medical device and pharmaceutical companies to secure veteran and non-talent mentors within the industry to share their story, advise, and coach veterans into the industry. We'll also be looking for in-state life science companies to post jobs to our website at mvpvets.org, as well as contribute financially to sustain the outreach of the program with, within and beyond the state to military installations. Um, for over 250,000 veterans from active service, all components of service transition annually. And lastly, uh, we've set a lofty goal of endeavoring to place 100 veterans into the life sciences uh, career fields in honor of the 100th anniversary to, the, at the, to celebrate the end of World War I before the end of 2019. This is a significant goal, uh, but achievable through a comprehensive and, and, again, collaborative approach with our partners, uh, with state officials, academia, and the life science industries that help form a strong economic backbone here in the Commonwealth. Great. So you mentioned some of those those companies you're working with. You mentioned Abiomed earlier. I know you have a good relationship with Mike Minogue, the CEO there. Mm -hmm. uh, so talk a little bit about some of the companies you're working with and what kind of programs they're doing with you. Yeah, absolutely. So um, Abiomed, Boston Scientific, and Smith & Nephew are just a few of MVP Vets uh, sponsors and partners within Massachusetts uh, and have been since its inception uh, as, a, as a 501c3 in 2014. All are extremely active across all sponsor and partnership domains, as I talked about, um, from contributions to providing mentors to posting their jobs on our, uh, on our website at mvpvets.org. Um, over the past several weeks, we've also opened up dialogue with other, um, Ma uh, other Massachusetts and Commonwealth uh, organizations such as the Mass Life Sciences Center, Mass Medic, Mass Bio, Conformis, Insulate, Amgen, and Biogen, and we look forward to developing and sustaining strong partnerships with these organizations as we continue to scale MVP vets in Massachusetts. Uh, on the horizon, in the spring of 2019, we're planning a recareering event in the North Shore, as well as hosting an event here in, in Boston um, with the Greater Boston Veterans Collaborative in the spring. And then lastly, uh, towards the tail end of 2019, uh, as you know, many medical device companies are building manufacturing facilities here in the Commonwealth, and we aim to assist them uh, in, in finding veterans uh, for, the, for, those, for those jobs that are uh, coming, coming to fruition here as we bring manufacturing back to the United States. And you're also doing some really interesting work with colleges and universities throughout uh, the state. Um, tell us a little bit about that program and how more schools can be involved with that. Yeah. Hey, thanks. So just yesterday, I was on the phone with the Student Veterans of America, um, a very, um, very influential uh, and well-integrated uh, organization in support of uh, warrior scholars 
as, as they're affectionately known by, by the Student Veterans of uh, America. And uh, I'll just share with you up front some of the latest demographics uh, that were affirmed in that conversation. So the veteran population uh, that we've received for fiscal year 2017 uh, informed us that there's, a, there's approximately 3.3 million post-9-11 uh, veterans. Uh, 32% or roughly 1.1 million uh, e are either in possession or pursuing college degrees. And that was affirmed by the Student Veterans of America who said they actually can account for 1.1 million in academia, in advanced levels, whether it's associates, bachelors, or advanced degrees and, and masters. Um, and, and that pursuing uh, of those college and degrees, that roughly 60% or 150K of the 250 that transition every year from the active component, uh, return home. And we know the medical device industry, academia in general, massive uh, economic uh, and intellectual capabilities that are both resident here. And so we see a, a beautiful blend uh, of those two marrying up uh, post-service and transition. And so we see that the integration with the Student Veterans of America, local colleges uh, to include North Shore Community College, Salem State, and we're looking to grow additional uh, relationships with other prominent uh, schools from UMass and MIT, which are alma maters of mine, um, and other state colleges, as well as Northeastern, BU, BC, Harvard, um, and their veterans associations. The best way for academic institutions to get involved would be that for them to visit our website. I'll be looking for their Student Veterans of America presidents uh, at the annual conference in, in January of 2019 uh, and send a request and I'd be more than willing to uh, reach out, meet with them on their on their uh, turf and on their campuses, and we look forward to hearing from them, from them. Excuse me. Great, great. And you mentioned the website. Uh, what are other opportunities if a business leader is listening to this podcast? They want to get involved. Uh, how do they do that? Yeah, no, Chase. Thank you. Um, the first thing I'd say to any business leader at any at any level would first be thank you. Um, then, I'd add, then I'd suggest to the business leader to visit our website, uh, as you alluded to, mvpvets.org, and register as a mentor and begin a dialogue with a veteran. A wise person um, once told me, no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care. Registering to be a mentor with MVP Vets uh, sends the strongest possible message to our talented veterans that you as a business leader care and that your organization cares. Having recently transitioned myself, it meant the world for me uh, and to me for someone to listen to my concerns about a new journey and career in life. Take a, look, take a look at my resume or just make an introductory call to simply open up doors and a connection. Just the reassurance and knowledge and skills developed in military service, uh, just to know that, uh, that they are equally as applicable and desired in the, in the life sciences industry was a huge relief to me. Um, building relations, bridging gaps, and enabling breakthroughs, that's what mentors do. And that's why I would ask a business leader, become a mentor. I'd suggest their HR talent acquisition or diversity and inclusion teams. Uh, register at mvpvets.org uh, as a partner company uh, so they can review and engage the over 3,000 veterans we have in the program and continue to update and post their uh, post jobs that are present here in the Commonwealth. And lastly, um, if a business leader wanted to further engage, um, I'd suggest that they consider becoming a sustainer and make a charitable contribution to the program. 
um, to help uh, continue our outreach within and out of uh, state here in the Commonwealth, as well as online, our, our constructive and recareering event services. Um, and, and so those three, those three ways uh, is what I would suggest to any business leader that I would engage or speak with. Great. So let's shift a little bit and let's talk about your military background. Uh, you have a long distinguished career in the military. Um, you talk about the skills that veterans can bring to the table uh, and, and why they can be so valuable to employers. Uh, talk a little bit about your experience serving overseas. Uh, sure. So um, I completed uh, 20, 25 and a, and a half years of active federal service as a combat engineer in the United States Army. And, um, you know, first and foremost, it was a privilege and honor uh, to serve this great nation, the people, and support and event the Constitution uh, of the United States. Um, I began my service. I, I knew I always wanted to be a soldier. Um, and I began that service right here in the Commonwealth, enlisting in the Massachusetts Army National Guard. Um, 2nd Battalion, 104th Infantry out of Greenfield, Massachusetts. I was an infantryman. That's where I got my, got my start uh, while attending UMass Amherst uh, and earning my, my bachelor's degree. Um, incredibly rewarding experience. And I know there's a lot of great uh, Massachusetts gardens that continue to follow uh, in those boots um, and just an amazing opportunity um, that we have here in the Commonwealth. I served multiple assignments uh, as a U.S. Army paratrooper. Um, you know, some, some key uh, honors, if I guess you will, um, earned, the, earned the Ranger Tab, Sapper Tab, and Master Parachutist Badge. Uh, while serving, uh, served in various command and staff positions across the world and country, um, from, from Korea to the 10th Mountain Division in upstate New York, to the 82nd Airborne Division, um, to the Combined Arms Center and NATO training mission uh, in, a, in Afghanistan. Uh, culminating in, in my service uh, to, our, to our Army and our nation, I had the honor uh, to command both the 20th Engineer Brigade at 18th Airborne Corps uh, in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, uh, as well as the 9th Engineer Battalion uh, in the 172nd Infantry Brigade forward stationed in Germany uh, and deployed that battalion uh, to Operation Enduring Freedom in Afghanistan. Um, I concluded my service uh, as the U.S. Army Forces Command Engineer uh, in their Operations Plans and, and Modernization Division um, at Fort Bragg this past May. Uh, and as I said up front, um, the knowledge, skills, and abilities uh, that were that were afforded to me um, to learn from exceptional leaders, uh, the art and science of leadership, um, how to build and sustain teams, how to solve complex problems, um, persevere under the most adverse um, and hostile conditions, um, and 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 in the end of the day, have fun uh, while doing it all. Um, those kind of things, those basic character traits um, are resonant in all veterans. Um, the opportunities that were afforded to me were opportunities um, that I'm forever grateful for, uh, that those opened doors for me. And in, those, in, the, in some of those positions, uh, I always saw it as an opportunity to give back. And that's why I decided to become a, uh, a member and join the MVP Vets team, because it's about giving back and being thankful, uh, truly uh, for what veterans uh, provide in their service to our nation. Uh, so, so shifting to the last question then, Veterans Day is coming up. Um, what message do you have as your Veterans Day message that you'd like to share? Yeah, so, you know, this year um, we celebrate the 100th anniversary 
um, to the end of World War I. Uh, at the beginning of the 21st century, we, the world, um, thought the horrors experienced in conflict would preclude another conflict. Um, so we dubbed it the war to end all wars. We were sadly mistaken. Um, and to this day, our world remains engaged in conflicts. Um, as long as this great nation exists, so will its military to assure its security at home and abroad. Those that serve are America's sons and daughters, their families and friends. As I mentioned earlier, they serve to be a part of something bigger than themselves, to answer a call, not for fortune or fame, but as servant leaders, serving us, one another, ready to make the ultimate sacrifice while continuing to lead, champion, and protect our inalienable and alienable rights found in the Constitution. What I'd like to share and ask those listening this Veterans Day is to not only thank, thank a veteran, but also thank their family for their love and support in silent service of their loved ones. It's a united thank you, if you will. We are one nation, one military, and one team. That unity and singularity of purpose is what brought us together 242 years ago as a nation and continues to this day. Uh, my best to all this Veterans Day, and uh, thank you. Well, I think that's a terrific message to end on. Uh, Jason, thanks so much for coming in today. Thank you, Chase. Thanks to Jason for joining us and to him and his team at MVP Vets for all their amazing work on behalf of veterans. Now, Two Minutes with Tom. So Two Minutes with Tom, welcome back. Diane, it's always nice to be with you. Thanks for joining us. We are going to take a couple minutes. We had a great uh, post-midterm elections rundown with some of our team here at O'Neill and Associates earlier this week, but I thought it'd be nice to take a couple minutes and talk with you as well. Uh, it was, you know, it was a big election, and uh, we've been talking about this for quite some time. It was also a really big night for women here in Massachusetts and around the country. It was a huge night for women. Um, it was a huge night for minorities. It was a huge night for Democrats. It was not a good night for Donald Trump. The Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives took over 23 Republican seats of the 35 that they won. It's a real message to this Republican president and the way that he chooses to provide, preside over the, the presidency of the United States. Um, I hope he's received that message, although headlines over the last couple of days since the midterms indicate that he's more strident in his beliefs to stop Robert Mueller in his investigation and it looks too that uh, you know he's, he's flexing his muscles to see exactly how far the Democrats are going to go. The Democrats, uh, I, I do feel though that there's an issue about the center of parties because most of the Republicans that were defeated were the moderates within the party. Most of the Republicans who chose to resign were the moderates within the Republican Party, and they've been taken over in very large part by not centrists but left the Senate of Democrat, Democrats, which means to me that Nancy Pelosi and the leadership of the U.S. House is probably as close to the center as we're going to get 
and their leadership at this point in time is really going to be very important. So what is this, uh, for some people who don't understand Congress and, and D.C. though, uh, as, as well as others, um, what does this mean now that there's what we're calling really uh, closer to a balance of power? So the House uh, is majority Democrat, the Senate is still majority Republican, and then obviously a Republican president. Uh, for the inner workings and sort of how the processes go on a day-by-day basis, how are things going to change for the president going forward? Well, I don't know how they're going to change for the president, except that he'll be reacting to how the leadership of both House and Senate conduct themselves as they try to get to a center ground to see if they can't move issues like infrastructural change across this country and issues like immigration. Uh, those are two very important issues, along with health care. Um, and there needs to be some resolve uh, amongst the two branches of, of the Congress. And I, I think that's the biggest test coming out of the door to see if they can reach some conclusions as to what direction together they could take in a bipartisan fashion. I, I, that's the first message I'm looking for. The reaction will be on the part of the president as to whether he'll agree or not agree. And uh, I, I think he'll just have to wait. The other change we've seen, and uh, we touched upon this a little bit at the beginning, is sort of the rise of women um, in Congress. And Massachusetts is sending three of their own. Um, and we've got Catherine Clark, Lori Trahan, and Ayanna Presley. Uh, what do you see as the changing? How are women going to change how Congress is is running or working? Well, I, I think well, I, I think women are going to really uh, change the issues around equity, around protective services, uh, around immigration. Uh, it's not that because they're feminine and they're softer, but I think they're more sensitive to what the issues are in moving the, you know, the middle class and, and the poor, poor class family along to education, to health care, and to, and, to, and to immigration change that needs to be coming. I, I, I see their role as a decisive role and a very important role. All good things. I not only see that in Congress, I see it throughout the state of Massachusetts where we have 23 new women elected to our own legislature. I see it in the state of Maine with a new uh, a woman who has just been elected governor of, of Maine. I see it in the governorship because we have new women who have taken over three of the, of the six uh, uh, governorships for the Democrats. Um, so I see a lot of change. I see a lot of change as well with women representing minorities for the first time in Congress, Arab Americans, uh, Native Americans. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very important, it's a very important message that has taken place over these last couple of days. And, and, and good for America for doing it. I'm excited. Just the beginning. Just the beginning. I also think it portends pretty well for the Democratic Party for 2020. Trump lost some states which he carried uh, in the Midwest, in the Southwest, and uh, those are important messages. He lost congressional seats in Texas, lost the congressional seat, seat, uh, seat in Oklahoma. He, um, he lost some very important seats in California and, of course, in the Midwest, um, where he had done well in Wisconsin, Minnesota, Missouri, Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio. 
he lost some real ground there. And if, it's, if he continues on the road that he's going, he's going to continue to lose ground, not gain. Well, I think it was a fateful week. And as always, Diane, it's nice to be with you. Thanks, Tom. Have a good day. That's it for this week's episode of OA on Air. Now, don't forget to subscribe. And also, this weekend, the U.S. Marine Corps is celebrating its 242nd birthday. So happy birthday to all of the Marines out there. We're also celebrating Veterans Day this weekend. On behalf of O'Neill and Associates, we say thank you to all those who are serving and who have served our country, as well as the families who serve right alongside them. Last but not least, be sure to check out our special edition of OA on Air this week, featuring some of our team members and political experts talking about the midterm elections. It's a great conversation covering everything from cannabis expansion in Massachusetts to Massachusetts statewide elections and ballots, national outcomes, and overall takeaways. Talk to you next week.